0: You're listening to Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, the podcast that shares wisdom and strength. Join your host, Dr. Michelle St. Jane's weekly conversation on how to have a positive impact for people, planet, and the wider world. If you want to live a life of intention, be proactive with your time, and bring your vision for the future to life one today at a time, you are in the right place at the right time. Let's get started.
1: Welcome. Are you ready to take control of your life and develop successful ways to overcome fears and limiting beliefs? Today, I have with me Terry Kowalski of Cosmic Soul Solutions. She's an author and a certified life coach for people who want to master their fears. And she's also the host of Soul Solutions Podcast. Well worth a listen, one of my favorites. Terry's mission is to inspire others to transcend fear by living a balanced life where you continue to learn, explore, and create while being present. Join me. We're going to have a rich conversation addressing what Terry calls your intricate thought patterns, old egoic mindsets, and go within to find the answers to create the life you desire. Who better than Terry? She's the author of the 2021 book, Raven, Transcending Fear, a memoir about overcoming sexual abuse, abandonment, and discover your authentic self. She shares her wisdom, encourages us to take that most significant step in overcoming your fears and getting out of your own way. Become consciously aware. What are you conditioned to react to? Terry, welcome. I'm looking forward to reading your book, Raven,
2: Transcending Fear. Can you tell us about your book, please? Sure. My memoir was not something I was ever going to write. I had been asked for years whether or not I would write my story. And it was not just no. It was a hell no. I wasn't going to write it. And then in 2018, I became pregnant with a book. And I'm one of those people that has to research things. So I researched the process. I took a uh, writer's course. Nine months, a book was born. Now, it went through some editing and we've done that in end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And then I got a book contract in October, and it comes out in March 2021. But it is a, a deep walk with me from a place of childhood trauma and abandonment into how I overcame and realized that there was a lot that I was doing and suffering myself, that it wasn't necessarily anyone's fault anymore but my own thoughts that was causing me suffering. When you have trauma when you're 11 and yet you're still suffering at 40, at some point it's no longer what actually happened. It's something that's going on inside your own mind that's continually causing you to suffer. And it's understanding that transition, reframing and understanding what it is and why it is your ego keeps having you suffer through this trauma that happened, you know, 30 years prior.
1: Wow. Wow. It's going to be packed with lots of wisdom. And I think much needed because I resonate with your words. What happened decades later, we have to become response able. We have a response Mm -hmm. ability. Our executive brain is online and there are some amazing modalities out there to address this trauma, if you know about them. And more importantly, if you're willing to become conscious on your journey. I think we align quite nicely um, from a place of peace and prayer as well. I resonated with your April 2020 blog about prayer as a two-way communication with spirit. And I love how you put it. It allows for a powerful intentional pivot away from fear and towards your heart's desires. Could you speak about how you came to write that one, Terry?
2: When I had always been very spiritual as a child. And when I came off the airplane back to my dad after the trauma occurred, I told him I needed therapy. And I'm 11. Nobody at the age of 11 understands even what therapy is. But I was aware enough that what had happened to me was a pivotal change in how I would see the world. And I spent a lot of time in prayer after that. And basically, I argued with God. I was very, very angry with God for a long time as to why me? And then answering that question took another 20 years before I realized the why me was that I had already made a contract with my mother before I ever arrived on the planet to have this experience. And through this experience, I'm supposed to then take it and help others. And although my experience is, for me, not as serious as others think it is because of the way I reacted to it, I, from a very early age, knew I didn't do anything wrong. And that's one of the things that a lot of people who've had childhood trauma don't understand. There's blame and shame, and the ego takes that and feeds it over and over and over again to us, where the trauma just is relived over and over and over again. I, however, was fortunate enough to understand that through my arguments with God, and I am a very opinionated person, and God and I had lots of arguments about why it was I was struggling through some of this. And I did this as a child. So when I'm 12, 13, 14, and now I'm trying to date, which did not work out well for me, (laughs) When I'm going through all this, there's a part of me that understood that this two-way communication with spirit shifted my approach into how I was handling all the emotional aspects of not just going through puberty, but then all of this angst that I had, all this fear that had been festering inside me because I'm one of those people that when everything was going on, I completely shut down emotionally and was dealing with the situation at hand. My sister's 11 months younger than me. She was with me when all this occurred. So I was trying to take care of her. My mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I was trying to take care of her at 11 years old. So all of this was angst that I was trying to deal with. And when you shift your approach through prayer, You look at things from a different angle, and it's not so much woe is me as is, okay, how do I overcome? What is it that I'm supposed to learn? And you can only do that when you shift your approach from the egoic mind into one of the soulful heart. So through prayer, it develops your faith. Whether your faith is in God or in the universe or whatever term you use, it builds your faith in something bigger than you are, because something bigger than you are is what helps you through the trauma. You don't help yourself through it. You need something else to help you walk through it. It allows for the authenticity of who we really are to rise up, because that's one of the things trauma does is it pushes that down. It squashes who we really are. And this forces us to be intentional. When we pray, we have to be intentional about what it is we're asking for, what it is the outcomes that we want to get rid of the anger. We want to get rid of all these negative things. But at the same time, you have to be intentional on how that is processed, as well as how it is that you then reframe those aspects of it so that you can deal and you can handle what it is that you're walking through. One of the big things that happens when you pray is that your ego gets humbled. Because it's no longer that forefront. It's no longer saying, hey, you know, there's shame here. Hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, you should be afraid because, you know, he's a man. All those things that the ego does trying to protect us. When you pray, the ego gets humbled. And the ego realizes it is not the powerful entity it thinks it is. Because if it really was powerful, you wouldn't have had that trauma in the first place. So that's that's came way later in my walk is realizing that if the ego was really powerful, the ego wouldn't have let it happen in the first place. Humbling of the ego is an important aspect to overall transcending the fear and understanding that what prayer is, it's actionable. When we think what we're sitting and wallowing, if we pray, we've taken action and we've taken intentional action to change our mindset. Because the reality is the awareness that we get through prayer is an awareness of our connection to spirit, our connection to everyone else, our connection to the earth. All those connections are vital for us to be able to ground ourselves into something that is peaceful and obviously joyful. Because when we get to that place of knowing, when we get to that place of awareness, then everything lets go, everything becomes free, and everything becomes easier.
1: Beautifully said, Terry. I really resonate with your thoughts. My brother and I are three and a half years apart, and I grew up in a very violent, dysfunctional, alcoholic household. So very quickly from three and a half, I was the little mother and parenting my parents. And my dad left when I was eight. So suddenly I had all these responsibility for cooking and babysitting and, well, pretty much the same old, just more household stuff. I kind of turned into Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Terrible domestic goddess, though, stays with me today. But I really resonate. And I can remember being on the front lawn saying, you know, God, what's the point? God, I want to be a child. God, everyone in my neighborhood can play and I can't, you know. And I just became an old, my old soul just took over and we had to survive. There were no choices about how we got on with it. And I also bore the brunt of a very rageful mother and circumstances of my birth, I was the mistake. So lots of trauma around that that I didn't understand as a child until I got told when I was 13 that, you know, I was her big mistake. So again, heading into puberty, lots of distress, you know, adopting my mother's pain that was not mine to have. So I really appreciate your words and generosity of spirit and sharing your courage of well-learned lessons. And for me, I did a lot of speaking to a very paternal God, and I really felt like all of the males in my life were very much letting me down or using me. So I, you know, and God was in the masculine when I was a child. So I did a lot of arguing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I resonate with what you said. I did a heck of a lot of arguing and probably God was the only one I could really voice my, you know, demands, concerns, the unfairness. And it was actually June 2016, well, and then after my childhood, the higher power became about nature for me, and that was my peaceful place. And then in 2016, I had this experience of a higher power moving from being around me to being in me and feeling this deep connection. And the conversation and prayer took on deeper meaning and more purpose, so much so that I'm very passionate about prayer and sharing the power of prayer as well, not centralizing it institutionally, but bringing it into the spiritual realm of possibility. So I really love what you said. And I think, you know, you get to see life from a new perspective when you have a trusted source that you can lean on or share or ask for guidance from. Yeah, I hear your story. So I'm interested in hearing how you reframe the stories.
2: Reframing is a tool that is used in the psychological world. I did not realize that when I started using the term reframing. I actually did a lot of research for the book concerning reframing to make sure that I was lining up with what I said with what was actually practiced. But what I was doing was understanding that if I changed my point of view about something and it came out in college and there's a story in the book where I talk about I had been sharing my story with certain people to get them to understand why I reacted the way I did to things. Because how I react is based on my emotional well-being or my emotional lack of well-being. If something triggers me, it used to be if somebody came up behind me and touched me on the shoulder, I went swinging. I was turning around swinging at them. You don't touch me. So there were lots of things like that that I needed to be able to explain to people. And friend in college turned to me and said, you like being a victim. And I got irate. And I sat with that for a long time, very angry at first. But then I realized what he meant. I was getting something. My ego was getting something out of playing the victim. When you play the victim, there's certain things that occur. Number one, everybody leaves you alone. You know, they don't want it. They're going to walk on eggshells. They're going to be very careful what they say. And at the time. I did want to be left alone. Let me do what I need to do, but I wanted to be left alone. So I was okay with that. And then I realized there was a lot of negativity that came with that. That meant that people were purposely not telling me the truth because they were afraid of how I would react. And I'm really big on truth. So when I started to change in my mind was, okay, yes, trauma occurred. Yes, technically, that's called victim. That's the terminology that is given to what had happened. But that's not who I am today. Who I am today is a survivor. Who I am today is somebody who can look on that experience and say, it shouldn't have happened. It wasn't my fault. I have no shame. I have no blame. I forgive the perpetrators. And because I walked through that process, I'm stronger. And now I can turn and help others who are in that same boat who can't get past something, they're stuck somewhere, been there, done that, I can help you get to the other side if you're willing to do the work. So from that aspect, reframing is about taking the situation and looking at it from a perspective of what do I need to learn? How can I learn from this? Not so much why did it happen, but how can I make this into something that can be used to help others, to serve others? Because the reality is we all come to this earth to serve others. And you had said that your trauma started when you were really young. But we all get here. And I've heard you talk about your grandchildren. When you look at your grandchildren when they're infants, you know, without a doubt, they are authentically themselves. They know who they are. They're not shy. Even three-year-olds are not shy about telling you what they want. Everything about them is still in connection with spirit, still in connection with source. Mm -hmm. They're completely authentic until they get to be about five to seven. And at that age, they start being domesticated and conforming to those things that we, their parents and grandparents want. You want to be a good girl. You want them to behave, all of that. And sometimes I'm looking at things now thinking that through the domestication process, they forget who they really are. And one of the things that we have to do as adults is remember who we are. And we spend first five years of life knowing who we are. We spend the next 10 years forgetting and being domesticated. And then we start our journey for another 10, 15 years trying to rediscover who we really are so that when we're 40, 50, or 60, we can be authentically ourselves. And I think that we're seeing a new change in the paradigm and how people are raising children and are realizing that maybe, Maybe some of that, what we call bad behavior, is them being authentically themselves. And we don't want necessarily for them to conform into society's ways because they may not fit into society's ways. And that's okay because I certainly didn't fit in to what society said I should be.
1: (laughs) I resonate with that as well. I didn't either. (laughs) Fitting in has never been the mantle that I wear. But thank you for speaking about the stories. I know that in my 20s and 30s and 40s, relationships were replicating my childhood. And I was not happy about that, but I turned into what I call a drama llama. So I would share the stories and realize that I was habituating my victimhood through sharing these stories. And once I had my daughters, I have two daughters, and I was like, oh, hell no. I do not want my childhood or my life to be repeated with them. So I needed to clean up my side of the street. I needed to update my software (laughs) and my thoughts and my habits and create a healthier way of being in my well-being and living my purpose. But that took some work and a fair bit of awareness and unconditioning the conditioning. I have a fetid hate of Disney princesses. They are the epitome (laughs) of society's victims. And, you know, I I have a granddaughter now. So, of course, we're watching The Next Generation and we're, you know, we're teaming up. The women of the family are really teaming up in the hopes that this isn't recreated for her. And she is just a joy, exactly as you said, the joy of life. And her favorite song is from Frozen, Let It Go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the teachers are coming in very small sizes. And I love that. One of my favorite mentors is Jean Houston she does your mythic journey and mm-hmm. she says you write your story out and then you mythize it and you put yourself as the hero and you know great success and at the end of it singing and dancing it into life and I love the way that that exercise changes the energy so Terry I'm going to just quote you I love how you say I'm passionate about the work I do because I've lived through it and I've come out the other side And I saw the term warrior success stories. I mean, I just celebrate that. That just sounds so fabulous. How did you come about that term?
2: I am a Native American. My mother is Athabaskan, Tinglet, Raven clan. And because of the research I did into that aspect of my mother's family and understanding her story and why it is she ended up how she ended up. I talk about that in the book because she has a horrific story and she was never, ever going to be the mother I needed. There was no way possible for her to transcend and to do that because she was never aware. And that's part of the problem when you see people who stay in their trauma for most of their lives is that they don't become aware. And once you have awareness, awareness is the first and hardest step to take and overcoming any traumas of any kind. Once you have that, once you are able to be aware and see, okay, there's something here I need to look at. Once you have that awareness, the rest of it actually is not that difficult because you've already taken the first step. You know something is wrong and you know, obviously that if something's wrong, there's a way to fix it. Now, the ego thinks there's something wrong where the soul doesn't think anything's wrong. The soul just knows this is your journey. That's the other aspect of this that we battle with the ego. A lot of egoic work in the mind that the ego uses to keep us in our suffering, when we become aware of it, it has to disappear. The hardest part is staying present, because the ego works in the past and the ego works in the future. The ego doesn't work in the present. In the present, the only thing that works is the soul. So staying in the present moment becomes fair amount to being able to heal. And a lot of times, when you start that process, The ego comes and whispers in your ear and then somebody else says something to you that triggers a memory and it's hard to stay in that present moment. And that's why getting quiet and becoming prayerful, mindful, journaling, whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you have a foundation, that no matter what happens throughout the day, your foundation is of peace and you don't allow anybody to steal your peace because if you are letting people steal your peace... That means you're letting them have your power. And ultimately, that power is supposed to reside within us. That power resides in a place where spirit connects us to the unlimitless power of the universe. That's what we have inside of us. But we shut that off when we are in the egoic mind, dealing with the past or worrying about the future. Depression is the past. Anxiety is the future. So if you've been diagnosed with one of those things, that's where your focus is. And getting into the present moment almost always eliminates that aspect of the egoic mind and staying present because staying present is where forgiveness happens. Staying present is where healing happens. Staying present is where all the manifestation occurs. So if you were looking at manifesting the perfect life that you desire, the life that you were born to have, you have to do it in the present moment. You can't do it worrying about the past or the future.
1: Oh, perfect. And of course, we've had this powerful pause this year, which I find fantastic, led me into podcasting. So (laughs) did it to me, yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love what you said. Absolutely. The power of the present is amazing. And I totally agree with you and the ego cannot stay in the present because To perpetuate its illusions, it needs the stories of the past and the fears of the future, as you perfectly put. And in the present is when you can illuminate what is happening for you. And for me, I am ever mindful that my thoughts and feelings are only visitors, that I can welcome them as I would a visitor. But I don't adopt everything a visitor wishes to gift me. I can say thank you and move on. But being human and egoic, I have this itty bitty shitty committee and boy, let me tell you, the demons of the people who can trigger me are all on that committee. So I also have to be mindful in those moments where I'm not coping or I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. The committee will step in and say, well, let me help you with that. And it is full blown sabotage. So you are speaking very wise words. And I like the fact that you brought up your soul. Listening to your soul is a more recent practice for me and communicating with my soul just brings me so much delight because my soul has a fabulous sense of humor. In fact, (laughs) most of our conversations happen just before I wake up in the morning and it is not unusual for me to wake up chuckling over some nascent thought that is joyful or unexpected or... Fortunately, I live alone. I just burst into laughter, still think half asleep, thinking, huh? And, you know, it is just not what I would think. It's, well, I am my soul, but it's to realize there's this other part that is within me, bubbling with joy and trying to communicate. And if my world gets too noisy, it's time to listen to the quietest voice. <laughs>
2: It's interesting that you say it happens in the morning because the reality is for us to really communicate with our soul, there's a certain brain wave associated with that. And that brain wave that when you're coming out of sleep and you're going to sleep, that transition from wakefulness to being asleep is that wavelength in which the soul communicates. And it's been measured. The frequency there has been measured. So that is why it's easier for you to do at that point when you truly are quiet and prayerful. In meditation or other times, that's also been measured from the, I believe it's theta waves. And it's a powerful thing to know there's this other side of you. And that other side is always connected to spirit. That other side to you is always full of joy. It's always fully, unconditionally loving yourself and others. And it's as you awake and your consciousness takes over, the egoic mind takes over, that all of that fades away. And it's so sad and so frustrating to watch somebody wake up in that joyful space and as they go through their day, watch them change.
1: Yes, well said. Well said. In fact, I listen to my soul so carefully. I'm now in the habit of keeping a notebook and a pen on the pillow next to me. (laughs) Good. So, if I get some instructions, I immediately write them down because I never remember in the morning. And I'm usually like shaking my head saying, Oh my gosh, there was that fabulous thought. What was it? And it often happens like 4 a.m. The blessing for me is I am an early bird. So it works well for me. <laughs> oh my. So, Terry, please share about your podcast, Soulful Solutions.
2: Soul Solutions was started because my son told me that my message needed to reach a wider audience, and that if I had a podcast, it would reach a younger audience. And I thought, okay, so I found a course, and technically, that's how you and I met was through that course. But when all was said and done, as soon as I got it started, like three weeks later, I said, Mom, now you need a YouTube channel. So, you know, because he watches all his podcasts on YouTube, supposedly. But since... I started Soul Solutions, the idea was to connect with as many people as I could about the message of understanding that reframing how you perceive things ultimately changes the course of your life. And that it doesn't matter whether you had trauma in your past. It doesn't matter if you are fully in the egoic mind you can transition, you can transcend out of the fear and overcome the limiting beliefs that we all have because we're all human. And because of the of the humanness that we exist in society and because of the domestication we've all been through, we have these things that we have to overcome. We have these obstacles in our way that's part of our soulful, spiritual journey. And I think that, you know, I I believe everybody comes knowing who they are. We forget who we are. And then ultimately our journey is back to spirit, back to our soul, back to being authentically ourselves. We're seeing a larger transcendence of people moving in that direction, not staying stuck in the egoic mind as long as we've had in the past.
1: Exactly. And I'm going to revert back to prayer one more time. I love the Serenity Prayer because it reminds me of all the things I cannot change and the one thing I can change Mm -hmm. my thoughts, feelings, actions. And that just helps me stay at peace no matter what the chaos is or what my internal chaos or external chaos is. So, yeah, I totally agree with it. So, Terry, you also have Cosmic Soul Solution Services. This is the place for you to share about what you do and let listeners
2: know. Cosmic Soul Solutions is the company I have to do my soul coaching. I do one on one clients. Next year in 2021, there'll be a course that will come out on reframing to tie in with the book Raven's Transcending Fear that comes out in March of 2021. And everybody can reach me at my website, terrykozlowski.com. And anybody who's willing to do the work, I have been able to help. If you are unwilling to do the work, then I can't help you. So let's just put that out there. But if you're willing to do the work, I have taken people who have been in utter depression on antidepressants in 12 weeks, have come off their medication and are content and happy, married with children and having the best life. They never thought they could have the life that they're currently living. I have another client that is one of my super fans. She loves the transcendent work that we've done to give her a different perspective and understand her worthiness. That's one of the things that we women have issues with is understanding that we are worthy just as we are. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to change how we behave for somebody else. And that's really difficult for a lot of women to understand and comprehend because we've been trained from our parents, from our grandparents, from society that we are to be an accessory. And that is not the case. We were never meant to be an accessory. We are meant to be our own bold individual beings with power and understanding and compassion. And ultimately, I think that we're seeing a resurgence of the divine feminine in the global community, understanding that the compassion that women have for community, for families, for those things and aspects of the mind and the spirit that are connected that only women really comprehend, because we are the ones that create life. We're the ones that raise the children. And we have a different perspective because of the creative aspects that we have within our bodies and within our minds. Exactly.
1: And we've officially moved into the age of Aquarius, which is the divine feminine as well. Well, Terry, I really am grateful that you had time for this today and your generous sharing of wisdom, and celebrate your contribution with much appreciation in the world. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I've enjoyed Thanks, it. Thanks, Okay, so to close the show out, I'm always open to conversation. so if you're someone who feels that something has resonated with you on today's interview or an earlier episode, feel free to reach out to me on any social media platform, and we can continue the conversation.
0: Dr. Michelle St. Jane is a conscious steward of meaningful leadership in the world and the wider cosmos. Tune in every Thursday for real talk around life, leadership, and your conscious journey. Be ready to create and cultivate your dreams and soul hearted desires. Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating, but more importantly, share with your connections.